I have a two-in-one episode for you today as the 150th anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire is less than a week away. The first part of this episode is an interview with local author Kate Hannigan where we discuss her graphic novel for kids called The Great Chicago Fire Rising from the Ashes. And after that, I'll have a few stories from The Great Chicago Fire you may not have heard before. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. So I feel very fortunate to have Kate Hannigan on the Chicago History Podcast today uh, for many reasons. One of the big ones is the 150th anniversary of the Chicago Fire is coming up, and Kate Hannigan wrote a great book called The Chicago Fire Rising from the Ashes, which is a, uh, uh, I'll call it a graphic novel, maybe you have a different phrase for it, geared toward kids, and there is so much to love about this um, from so many standpoints. Kate Hannigan, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Before we get to the book itself, um, tell me a little bit about you and Chicago, and did you grow up here? How long have you been here? Tell me all the important stuff. Um my husband and I moved here right after 9-11. So, um, you know, beginning of the fall, 20, uh, yeah, 2001. <laughs> so it's 20 years. We just marked our 20th anniversary here. We were living in San Francisco. Uh, I used to do newspapers before writing for kids. So I was at the San Francisco Chronicle and my husband and I had met at the Dallas Morning News. We both had really bad hours. <laughs> he, he was, I worked the night shift, like putting the paper to bed and he, um, he was in med school. So he was, he had horrible, horrible hours. So, so we fell in love with that as our common denominator there. Um, so yeah, so I, I come from a background of journalism and um, I love Chicago and I love history. So it was really fun when um, an editor asked me to work on this project because I live down in Hyde Park, which is, you know, right by the Museum of Science and Industry. So I, I feel it was really exciting to get to walk around and kind of envision what the um, the whole area was like with the Columbian Exposition, which is, you know, when the world when the world saw that Chicago was back, you know, that was our, our renaissance, our phoenix rising <laughs> from yeah. that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so had you done anything kind of history related, your, your writings, um, you know, had you written any history books before this or was this kind of the first with a yeah. history theme to it? Well, so, um, you know, I feel like journalism is like, you know, history day by day, <laughs> the, the daily record. It's a bunch of really um, small books. Right, right. So I, I toyed around with um, the first couple, couple books uh, for kids, just straightforward fiction. But then I fell in love with um, historical fiction and, and then nonfiction for kids. So uh, I, had, I had worked on a few projects that, uh, you know, were in various stages of completion with editors and I had um, just done a pretty Chicago-specific historical fiction about the Pinkerton detectives and the first woman detective, uh, Kate Warren, who is buried, uh, you know, her tombstone. I went and touched her tombstone at Graceland Cemetery around the Pinkerton plot and uh, had a lot of fun researching and writing that book. Um, uh, Kate Warren is her name, America's first woman detective. Hmm. Um, so love of, of Chicago, love of history, and... Um, 
uh, a few projects under my belt. And so then an editor asked me what would, you know, as a Chicagoan who likes history, would I be interested, who writes for kids, would I be interested in doing this? So I jumped at it. Well, your book has, I mean, from the get-go, so published in 2020, your forward is from Reverend John McNallis, who is a, uh, uh, I guess he retired uh, CFE chaplain and also an author uh, himself, but he wrote a great forward to your book. So it really sets it up nicely. The visuals are amazing. Your artist, um, Alex Grodens. uh, She rocks. Oh yeah, did did an amazing, amazing. I mean, amazing job because again, you know, four kids, just the colors and everything else, but you didn't shy away from the important parts of what was going on in Chicago. And I think one of the reasons why it appealed so much to my youngest, and then even when I was reading it was, you know, you acknowledge the anti-immigrant feelings, uh, the anti-Irish and, you know, people saying, oh, it it must have been the O'Leary's, you know how the Irish are, they're drunks. Like you have all that in there, you know, you don't, you don't kind of soft pedal it, which I think is, is great. Did you get any pushback or was that something you knew you had to have in there the whole time? The most pushback I got was from myself because, because I got, I got really nervous. You know, anytime you take a point of view, you can't write without taking a point of view. Sure. So any history book we pick up, somebody has a perspective that they're presenting to the reader. So, so when I think about, okay, why do we need a graphic novel about, about the Chicago fire? You know, history doesn't occur in little vacuums. It's a history is a flowing river, right? And so to show kids where we've been and why it's important, it, it, we, can, we can use where we've been to understand where we are. And I just have always, since I was a kid, thought it was fascinating the um yes i have dogs <laughs> dogs <laughs> and they're going to go now that we're, we're okay. not, they've been quiet all morning um so uh the the thing that i want kids to understand is history doesn't you know exist in a vacuum um and and when you look at like you know the stratification of society there's a constant movement of who's on bottom and who's on top and my dad's parents were Irish immigrants. They came in the early 20s. And my grandmother was a babysitter and she cleaned stoops, you know, and and my dad got a, you know, white collar job. And, you know, like we, you know, the, we're an example of an immigrant family that moved, you know. Um, and I just think it's really interesting that there, are, you know, we demonize immigrants now. But once upon a time, it was, you know, it might have been us, you know, whoever, who, depending on who's reading it. I think yeah, it's, you, I, you have a, a, a panel in your book, I think that says like, boy, there's so many more Polish and Swedish and all these other immigrants. And yet the rich are still looking down their noses at them. Can't we all just get along? And mm-hmm. I thought, boy, that's spot on. And I'm glad you included that, not just in the one part in the beginning that you kind of circled back and mentioned it again. It is an ongoing problem, mm-hmm. you know, even 150 years later. Um, that that Chicago is dealing with. My hope is that these books, you know, that they can be used in a classroom and be, and that there's lots of uh, discussion launching points. And that's that's a launching point for discussion. You know, the whole idea of scapegoating. You know, my friend Eddie, who I've known since we were in grade school, he'll listen to some of the episodes that I do and he'll call me up or send me a text and say, I don't remember being taught anything about this when we were kids. And I'm like, no, we definitely got a very sanitized version of these stories when we were kids. And I'm glad that now that 
kids are being more informed about racism and anti-Semitism and the anti-immigrant, you know, issues. Um, so yeah, that was one thing that really kind of made me realize this is a, a different book for kids. This is a much better, you know, example. There's definitely a lot of good books out there already on the fire, you know, on the Chicago fire. And so sure. I kind of think, wow, what do I bring? Yeah. <laughs> so well, and, I tried yeah, to, yeah. You know, being a kid's book, you know, this, this episode could have been me just talking about whatever I found that I thought might've been interesting about the great Chicago fire. But I think your book really can help parents maybe to your point, talk a little bit more openly with their kids about different issues or tell them a little bit more toward the end of the book. You mentioned not only the lives lost and obviously the buildings lost, but you also mentioned pets lost. And since the story has a running theme of children and pets. I thought that was kind of nice um, as well that you included that. I think you got to reach kids where they are and, and, you know, they, they love their dogs. <laughs> they love their cats. You know, I think that's just another, another way to kind of, you know, help them feel the emotions of what this would have been like to, to see the city burn, to lose. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Really obviously kind of- that connection to this major event is important, I think, certainly right. for kids to kind of understand what what the world was like then and, and all the changes that have had to be made. You mentioned, uh, Douglas, you mentioned Ida B. Wells. Um, at the end of the book, you have, uh, I think, 12 sites to visit today, which is super cool. You have a little map with little like fire uh, prints uh, for people to check out uh, stuff if they want to take their kids out on a little walk, uh, which is nice. Um, and then you have fast facts about the city, and the fire, which is, I'm telling you, I don't know what I paid for this book, but it was fantastic, not only for me, <laughs> uh, but, but for my son. I think I ended up using it more than he did. Yeah. Anything that you didn't get to include in the book that you later wish you did? Or do you feel like you got everything you wanted? Well, it's funny because this is a line, uh, you know, a new line from this publisher, uh, First Second. It's the History Comics. They also have a line called Science Comics. So I am so excited about history comics because it's a way to pull kids in to understand history in a way that works for them. Graphic novels. I think graphic novels works for anybody at any age, but for emerging readers, it's great to have the visual that reinforces the language learning. Um, And then to take in an entire event like the fire, or um, I think they also have like the um, Challenger explosion, you know, a whole I, bunch I saw in the back, they actually have the Roanoke colony and yeah. the, uh, and the Challenger. Challenger. Yeah. So and I'm more working. coming soon. I'm curious about, well, the, <laughs> exactly. about the end more. I got to be part of the end more. So I'm working right now, like before you and I started talking, I've been up all morning working on um, World War II on the home front, which is so fun because again, a comparison, um, you know, like, like for, for, Chicago Fire, what I wanted to kind of establish with the kids is something terrible happens. And then we move ahead as a society, we move forward, we we learn from it. And so that's why the whole second part of the book is the Columbian Exposition and showcasing yeah. Chicago to the world. So I feel like kids, you can't just present, hey, look at this great disaster. <laughs> you know, and then yeah. it's like, ah. right. Something bad so, happened, but we're better now. Yeah. So I tried to show that like, you know, buildings, you know, we moved away from everything being a wooden city, yeah. you know, wooden sidewalks. And we never buildings. had a bad fire after. Well, well, <laughs> well but um, yeah. yeah. So with World War II on the home front, I'm also trying to do um, 
show that, you know, in, in the time of COVID, you know, people come together to defeat a common enemy uh, or they don't. <laughs> so yeah. you right. hope they do. Yeah, right. you hope they do. And they rebuild. Uh, let's talk about your middle grade historical fantasy series, uh, which I have not read, admittedly. Do they yeah. take place in Chicago? Well, I love Chicago history. So, yeah, so there, it's a three book series. Book one is called Cape. Book two is called Mask. And book three is called Boots. And the great irony, I think someone in the universe is mocking me because my book Mask came out in 2020 when all anybody was thinking about was wearing mm. it. But it's, it's a more, it's an over the eyes mask. Sure. Um, or, superhero. or superhero and less, uh, you know, pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so they're, they're set in different cities, Philly for the first one, San Francisco for book two and Chicago for book three. So, so I do really, pull- people are going to have to buy the first two before they can get to the Chicago. <laughs> so. But I do. Well pull- done, Kate. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to work at work for it. Right. Smart. Um, I do pull in a ton of Chicago history, though. So there's two. Uh, I was focusing on the wasps in this one. I try to have historical people walking around in in my books for kids just to possibly have a launching point into kids learning about really cool people. (laughs) So book three is the wasps of world war two, the women's air force service pilots. Sure. So, um, but it was a segregated time in American history. So I was like, Oh, were there black women pilots? And yes, there were. And they were over at Harlem field, which uh, doesn't exist anymore. But um, I just thought it was really interesting that there was, you know, a field like there was segregated fields (laughs) but Harlem uh, had black pilots and there were two women that did um, a lot of flying and were pretty awesome and they helped train Tuskegee Airmen so cool factoid cool Chicago angle listen I like that I like that a lot and and I like the fact so the protagonists in your three middle grade historical fantasy uh, fantasy series books are girls correct they're female protagonists Um, so great for a world that has already had a ton of Harry Potter and all the other kind of boy themed fantasy books <laughs> to have, to have, you know, something for, for young girls to uh, relate to. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think young girls need to know that they can kick ass and take names <laughs> just yes. like the fellas. <laughs> yes. Before I let you go, do you have any favorite places in Chicago that you like to recommend people check out? Well, that walking tour that I put that I slipped in the back is is uh, that made for a great date afternoon for my husband and I because we went to all the different cool buildings and like the rookery. There's just, you know, not like just walking around, looking at those, looking at the bridges, which is just a great day to be out in Chicago. So uh, the boat tour, I know that sounds touristy, but oh, my God, I love the boat tour because just talk to me about old buildings. But um, down here in Hyde Park, it's really nice to um, check out the MSI because that was one of the buildings from the Columbian Exposition that, you know, showcased our rebirth uh, in 1893. But um, right by there is Wooded Isle, which is just a really pretty, um, uh, you know, lake. (laughs) We've got great birds, huge egrets and herons, and the Japanese garden that's in there is really lovely too. So if you want to walk around the south side. And today... Uh, is the groundbreaking for the Obama Library. So there will be even more reason to come down to the South Side. It's, it's fantastic. And I really get a chance to use the word egret. So it'll be <laughs> nice to get down there and see some actual egrets. Some egrets. Uh, egrets. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Kate Hannigan, thank you oh, so much. Oh, thank you. It's great talking to you. This is fun. Yay, Chicago history. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you soon. All right. Take care. Bye.
The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 took the lives of over 300 people and destroyed 17,450 buildings. One of the structures in the path of that fire that not only survived the fire but still exists today is the Bellinger Cottage, located just west of the Lincoln Park Zoo, dead center between the zoo and Oz Park. Back in 1871, the home's address was 17 Lincoln Place, but was later renamed and renumbered to 2121 North Hudson Avenue. Now, I don't spend a lot of time on the who built what aspect of Chicago. I probably should, but this caught my attention. A guy named W.W. Boyington designed the Bellinger Cottage. He was also responsible for designing the water tower, which also survived the fire. Talk about range. On October 7, 1871, as the Great Chicago Fire worked its way north toward the only house on the block at the time, that's the Bellinger House, Richard Bellinger, described as an invalid policeman, decided to stay and fight the blaze. Bellinger had bought the home for his bride just a few years before and must have had a fearless side. With the help of his brother-in-law and a fellow policeman, Bellinger set about reducing the amount of flammable materials near his home. He raked up all the fallen, dry leaves, and as the flames approached the wooden sidewalk, Bellinger pulled that up. The wooden picket fence in front of the house, gone as well. Next was keeping his shingle roof from burning. In order to stop that, Bellinger ran through the house collecting blankets and rugs, which he then soaked with water and then covered his roof with them. For hours, he ran back and forth to his well to get water to keep the rugs and blankets wet to protect the house from falling cinders. Eventually, the well went dry and Bellinger was forced to get water from the nearby 10-mile ditch. More on that in a minute. Early reports and lore said he eventually pulled a barrel of cider from the basement and used that to wet the roof, something his wife later denied happened. Nevertheless, the cider story was retold so often it eventually made it into the Chicago Public School books. In 1921, a 71-year-old woman wrote into the Chicago Tribune to say she and 20 other people made homeless by the fire stayed with Bellinger and his wife until relief came. Pretty cool. The house was indeed saved. It has been rehabbed and sold many times over the years and was designated a historical and architectural landmark by the Chicago Landmarks Commission in 1977 and is now part of many Chicago Fire History tours. As for the 10-mile ditch, yep, this was the thing that sent me down the rabbit hole. It was developed in part by a man named Henry Bull, I gotta say, Henry Bull and the Ten Mile Ditch sounds like an unpublished Hardy Boys novel. Anyway, according to Bull's obituary, he came to Chicago in 1852 and was a well-known landscape gardener on the north side. But what about this Ten Mile Ditch? Well, according to the info I found, at the time it was described as, quote, one of the sewer streams of the town of Lakeview and furnishes a portion of the water of the Lincoln Park Lakes. End quote. The ditch ran between Fullerton and Diversey just east of Clark, helpful in draining the swampy lowland area west of the north end of Lincoln Park. As Fullerton and Diversey are only a half mile apart, I'm still not sure why it was called the 10 Mile Ditch. Also, if the town of Lakeview thing uh, threw you, well, 
The area we now call Lakeview was once outside of the city limits of Chicago, starting at roughly Fullerton Avenue. The town of Lakeview would later be incorporated into Chicago in 1887. In 1882, 43 citizens and taxpayers signed a petition requesting that ditches be opened on the cross streets to drain a large body of stagnant water in the area into the 10-mile ditch, quote, for sanitary reasons, end quote. A 1927 letter from a reader of the Chicago Tribune claimed that as a boy in the 1880s, the 10-mile ditch was where he and his friends enjoyed good frog hunting in the tall weeds by the ditch in the summer. He said that in some places the ditch was 100 feet wide with water that measured 4 feet deep. When 10-mile ditch builder Henry Bull died in 1910, it was at his daughter's residence at 916 Graceland Avenue, a path we now know as Irving Park Road, because stuff gets renamed. Bull is buried at Graceland Cemetery. All of this talk about the anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire had me wondering, how was the fire looked at, say, 50 years after it happened, or 100 years after? The October 8th, 1921 Chicago Tribune front page headline reads, Illness Halts Babe Ruth. Apparently, the great Bambino stole second base and then third base during the World Series, sliding into the ladder bag, hurting his elbow, which then got infected. The first mention I found about the fire was on page 8, and it was someone writing into the letters to the editor section that mentioned it. I even went back a few days before to see if it had been covered uh, in the dates leading up to the actual anniversary. Nope. At 100 years, in 1971, the Chicago Tribune ran a special souvenir section, four full pages, discussing many of the aspects of the fire. A little more thorough than 50 years before, but four pages? For the 150th anniversary of the Great Chicago Fire, there is more stuff than ever about the defining catastrophe of Chicago. The October 2021 Chicago Magazine has a great piece by writer Robert Lorzal. WTTW is running a special. The Chicago History Museum has a new exhibit. The Newberry Library has a thing. I've got this podcast, of course. And really, thankfully, there are more ways than ever to take in the history about the events, good and bad, of Chicago, the greatest city in the world. Listening to today's Chicago Fire themed episode. Special thanks to my guest, Kate Hannigan, author of the graphic novel The Great Chicago Fire Rising from the Ashes. There is a link in the show's notes if you would like to buy a copy of the book and support a local author. Any purchase made through those links also may help the show by providing a small commission at no cost to you. As always, if you have any questions about anything covered today, anything to add or have an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. 
Check out the Chicago History Podcast Facebook and Instagram for articles and pictures related to this episode and past episodes posted throughout the week. The original art for the Chicago History Podcast used on these social media pages was created by John K. Schneider. Thanks, Johnny! He can be found at JKS on Instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. Next week, more Chicago fiery history. Until then, get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. <laughs>